people don't have a good idea of how to manage stress. And I thought, man, if I can really, you know, feel for this and be able to help people with this component of wellness, I can make a huge difference. Hey guys, welcome to the Man Talks podcast. I'm Roger Nairn. This podcast brings together the best thought leaders, teachers, and extraordinary individuals to teach and mentor you on how to be a top performer in life, love, and business. Imagine having experienced mentors with decades of wisdom delivered right to your ears. We talk about purpose, legacy, influence, love, success, sex, and so much more. Don't forget to leave us a review, subscribe, and join the thousands of other changemakers in our community on Facebook or go to mantalks.com. We've got so much exciting stuff going on in the Mantox community, but before we got started today, I want to let you know that we are live in Vancouver, Los Angeles, Toronto, Miami, and soon to be Atlanta, Chicago, and Denver. So this means that we're having live Mantox events, so if you happen to be in that area, please make sure to check us out at mantox.com, come out to a live event. Now, if you're not in that area, but you are loving what we're doing in the Mantox community, and you want to start your own Mantox chapter, reach out to us at info at mantox.ca and we'd be happy to provide you with all the information you need. So today's guest is Dr. Michael Alpen. Dr. Michael Alpen is director of the Groundbreaking Stress Relief Center at Weber State University in Ogden, Utah. Co-author of the popular textbook, Stress Management for Life, a research-based experiential approach. He runs the website stressmanagementplace.com to help people everywhere describe that the world is not a stressful place. Dr. Alpen, along with Sam Bracken, have written an incredible book called Unwind, Seven Principles for a Stress-Free Life. This book stands out from other books on stress management in one significant way, its whole person approach, which I actually call whole body approach in the interview. So just, it's called whole person approach. Unwind is about optimizing your body, heart, mind, and soul, recognizing that any and all of these dimensions of your life affect your anxiety level. It helps you get clear about who you are as well as your priorities and goals. The authors show you how to take charge of your life and how to make better choices that will prevent stress in the first place. Without further ado, Dr. Michael Alpen. Hi, Michael. Welcome to the Man Talks podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure. Uh, as we always like to do, um, I wanted to start off by asking you the, the, the question, if you can share with, us for a, share with us a defining moment for you as a man, what would that be? Well, that's a very tough question, and I've never been asked that before. And defining moments, I have to say that my life, for the better part of my adult uh, years, have revolved around three things. First, I'd have to say it revolves around my family. I'm happily married with four wonderful kids. And in that time, my focus has tried to be on making good experience with my family, with my kids. I think that has helped define me as a man and as a person as much as anything else. The second thing that has defined me, I, I would have to say, revolves around sports. I know that's kind of a cheap answer, but... I, I've lived more on a basketball court, a racquetball court, a pickleball court, a baseball diamond, or on a bike or something athletic or sports or recreation minded. And for, I mean, if I have spare time, that's what I love to do. And doing it with 
my family, doing it with my friends. That's very fulfilling to me. And I, I find it one of those things that um, is immediately satisfying, I think, because when I do those things, I'm able to be in the moment and I'm able to enjoy the experience so so uh, thoroughly. The third thing that I comes to mind as we talk about this has to do with my spiritual life. For as long as I can remember, I've had the questions, who am I and why am I here on this planet at this time with six billion other people and what am I doing with this life that is of value and, and why are we even having this experience? I, I have an ongoing search for you know the answers to those questions of what what is the purpose of this experience here on this planet and the the curious thing is the more i ask those questions the more i feel like the answers there there's more answers than i can um come up with i mean the answers keep changing i guess is what i'm trying to say i don't uh I'm pretty sure I don't know very much at all about anything. And the more that I learn, the more I realize that that's the truth, that there's, there's, there might, there might never be an answer. And and that's kind of part of it. That's, that's sort of the point. Yeah. And and that's the fun of it. I think too, is absolutely being able to be in that question of what's it all about and why are we all doing this thing called planet earth and being human and, and so, and I've chosen for it to be an enjoyable question, not having to be absolutely sure about anything, but just watching what happens and where life takes me to help kind of answer that question mm. in its variety of ways. I love that. And I, lo- I love the your first two responses, because to me, what I'm hearing is that you're quite fulfilled and, and that's what... That's part of what defines you as a man. You know, a lot of times we hear some responses and they're very much sort of achievement focused. And, and to me, it's I'm, I'm hearing your family and, and your and your sporting life, you know, kind of fulfills you, makes you happy. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm getting kind of up in age, you know, I'm getting to the point where at least chronologically, uh, I'm my students say I'm beyond middle aged. <laughs> I don't feel that way. Right. You know, there comes a point where you have to realize, or at least I've had to realize, that it's okay to not be striving so much and instead be arriving. You know, be in the joy of arriving somewhere and and enjoy that instead of always having to be going somewhere and doing something and getting to the next thing. I'm ti- I'm kind of tired of getting to the next thing, and I decided I want to be doing this thing. And I kind of I kind of feel like that's a perfect segue into this conversation around stress because when I think about the times that I get stressed the most, it is very much a result of me thinking about the future and thinking about where I'm going next and thinking about what the next big thing is. So I'm wondering, you know. Maybe let's let's start you know a little further back. Let's let's have a conversation about how you became an expert in stress, um, why that came about, why why you do what you do, what you do what you do, um, and and then let's maybe define what stress is because I think that there's a big sort of misconception about about that. Sure, sure. It's a it's been a fun journey for me, and 
I have to say that it's a I I everything I do with my professional life around stress is driven by my personal experience with stress. When I was in my early 20s, I was diagnosed with high blood pressure. You know, the doctor said, well, you chose the wrong parents. Too bad. You know, my my parents had high blood pressure. Their parents had, had high blood pressure. And I was destined, according to them, that I would too, and I'd have to be on blood pressure medication for the rest of my life. That didn't sit well with me because, you know, I was... I'm not a real fan of drugs in general, and I, 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 drugs have their place, but I, I don't want to be confined to a drug for the rest of my life just because I've got some condition. That just didn't feel right. And so, and the other part of that is in that time period, I was doing what I thought was, you know, everything right. I was eating well, I was exercising, I was getting enough sleep. And they said, yeah, too bad. You, It's a it's a genetic thing. And it was at that time, kind of in those years when I was introduced to uh, meditation. I learned how to meditate. I was taught transcendental meditation. I, I went through the process of, uh, what's the right word for that? that? That way of meditating, transcendental meditation. And the very first time I learned that, the very first time I tried TM. It blew my socks off. I just, I, it was like somebody had opened my my head up and poured in this l- liquid cleanser. I had never felt so clear and clean in my thinking. It didn't change a whole lot how I felt that first time, but the the way I felt cognitively was so profound. And I, I guess I was just muddy mentally all the time and I just didn't realize it. But it, it, it was so dramatic. And, I, and the guy who taught me it said, okay, just do this every day for the rest of your life. And I had read in some literature that meditation appears to be good. And this was back in the mid 80s, late 80s. Meditation appears to be good for hypertension, you know, among other things. And so I, okay, I'll try that. So he said, just meditate every day for the rest of your life. And it was soon after that that I was also introduced to yoga. At that time, I mean, the the guy who, it was actually the guy who taught me TM, he said, you should also do yoga before you meditate because it will make your meditation even better. And I didn't understand what that meant because back in the 80s, there was no, there was no internet, there was no books, there was no videos on yoga that I could go out and search how to do yoga and he said, well, here's one book and it kind of looks like the stretching that you do, you know, before you work out or after you work out. And so I, I figured I could try that and absolutely fell in love with yoga because of the way it made me feel. And so when I combined those two things, doing the meditation, practicing the yoga, my, my blood pressure went down. And every time that I would get my, and I was testing it pretty regularly because it was in kind of a dangerous level. And every time I would test myself, after I had been doing the yoga and the meditation, my blood pressure was staying fine. It was in normal levels. And and I was also, back then I was planning to be a sports psychologist. That's the direction I wanted to go in because I was so involved with sports. I so loved sports. But I recognized that 
there's a mental game to sports that is bigger than the physical game. You know, I think, I think it was um, Vince Lombardi or somebody who said, mental, mental is to physical as four is to one. I saw that um, most of the problems that people have in sports wasn't to do with how they played physically, but it was what's going on with, in their heads. You know, they were, they were unable to hit a fastball because they were thinking about it. They weren't unable to hit a golf ball just right because their heads were too much in the game. And I realized that it was the stress piece that was getting in the way of the athlete playing well. You know, given two people who are exactly the same for their uh, competency physically, it was always the mental part that separated the the superstars from the you know not so superstar guys. And so I I was really interested in in getting into sports psychology because of that stress component, and I was really interested in going there. But I found myself drifting to I started talking to people about stress, and and I do little seminars and workshops, and I, I realized that everybody struggles with stress. Everybody has more stress than they should have. And I would tell people, you know, they would say, come talk to our group, come talk to this group about that, come talk to um, our women's group, or come talk to our um, business. And everyone was just dying to hear what, because the thing that I found interesting is most people know how to eat well. They know how to exercise, but I think the the third component of high level wellness is managing stress people don't have a good idea of how to manage stress and i thought man if i can really get a you know a feel for this and be able to help people with this component of wellness i can make a huge difference and so i just i just i kind of set aside the sports side i still work a lot with athletes i i work a tremendous amount with athletes but i thought if we have you know millions and millions of people who are struggling with stress and the only thing that they're getting to try and fix their stress is medication or a doctor i mean I, i've had students or friends or people i've worked with who've said you know they go to the doctor and the doctor says yeah your problem is stress and they'll say, well, what should I do about it? And the doctor will say, well, I could give you these drugs or you should just do something to help you relax. And the, 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 what should I do to turn off my stress? And the doctor say, well, well, I don't know. You go f- find out, figure that out on your own. And so that piece of, the, of wellness is sorely lacking, I found. And um, so I decided I really want to get to the heart of this part of wellness, I still really focus on nutrition. I still really focus on exercise. You know, it's one of the best things out there, obviously. But yeah, and and that's actually, that's actually a good jumping point to talk about the book that you've written. For those that haven't heard of Dr. Michael Open, the book is called Unwind. It's all about how to reduce your stress. But you 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 come at it from a what you call a whole body approach. I'm wondering if you can kind of give us a bit of an overview of the book and and go into this this whole idea of a whole body approach. Yeah, well, I was I was talking with somebody on a show not too long ago, and, and they asked me the question, what do you think is the biz- biggest misconception that people have about stress? And I thought, well, that's an easy answer. And what I told her was, 
The biggest misconception is that we have the belief that stress happens to us from something outside of us, that there are stressors out there that cause us to be stressed. You know, the it's raining outside and we want it to be sunny, so it's making us stressed. It's not my fault, it's the rain's fault. Right. The the My bratty teenager is making me stressed. This boring... Um, business partner is is the one who's really doing it to me you know we we have this misconception that stress happens because of what's happening out there i'm pretty sure that in any situation that we can think of that we think is the cause of our stress we could think about it differently and not activate the stress response you know, I can't think of a single situation that is universally stressful for everyone. I can't think of one. And I've really, in 30 years of studying this and talking with thousands and thousands of people, stress is an inside job entirely. You know what I mean? It's, Can you expand on that when you say an inside job? Let's say that, see, the, the, the only reason we have the stress response as part of our physiology is because our ancestors needed it in order for them to survive dangerous situations. That's the only reason why we have this so-called fight or flight response in us is because our ancestors absolutely needed it in those um, sometimes when they were needing to get away from something that was going to kill them. In our society, in our, I mean, we have made our environment, we've made our um, culture we don't encounter dangerous events in our days. I mean, if you go through every minute of your day and analyze how much of my day was really where I could have died, it's pretty much less than 1% and uh, almost negligent. There's nothing. We Every bit of our, we've made our culture so safe and so comfortable. But here's the thing is what our system, see, and this is the thing that I think is really the, when people ask me, what's the cause of all my stress? Our ancestors, when they saw the big bear, the first thought that they had was not run. That was the second thought. The first thought they had was, uh-oh, I'm in danger. That was the first thought. The second thought was run or fight. We fast forward to now. And we have day-to-day -day experiences, you know, traffic jams or Wi-Fi goes down, like you said, or whatever. And we say to ourselves in some form or, or another, uh-oh, what happens with our physiology? See, we're, we're, we're 21st century minds living in 10th century BC bodies. Our bodies don't recognize their our, our nervous system our endocrine system our various systems of the body they're not looking out there at what's going on they're just listening to our frontal lobes our hypothalamus and the messages that they're supposed to get and when they hear the words uh-oh for any reason the only thing they need they know to do is to turn on the stress response because that's what our ancestors did in response to a real danger. but So we're in traffic jam or, or um, somebody's screaming at us or whatever it is. I mean, it could be anything. And we say, uh-oh, or oh my gosh, or this is bad, or we resist. 
And the, the physiology goes, oh, she must be in danger. I'm, and the only thing I know to do when, when you're in danger is turn on the stress response. We talk, you know, we, we talk about the whole idea of stress coming about because of trying to stay alive or, or, or keeping, uh, you know, keeping yourself from danger. But now in this modern world, are we, are we more stressed out about things that perhaps didn't even exist back in those days? And, and we've kind of replaced the or, or added more focus to those things? Well, anything that you give value to that has the possibility of mm, like, well, let's, let's just use, for example, a test that you're taking in school. The test of itself has no power to kill you. It's a, it's a bunch of words on a piece of paper. It has no power to do any damage to you. So the test is not stressful. It couldn't possibly be stressful because it's just the words on the paper. But the meaning you give to it, like you accurately said, the meaning you give to it of the outcomes, that's what we stew over. And if our body, going back to what I was saying before, if our body hears, oh my gosh, for any reason, this might be bad. There might be something down the road. It thinks something down the road because my brain, my thinks, mind, like I, I'm saying to myself, if I don't pass this test, I'm not going to pass the course, and if I don't pass the course, I'm not going to pass this. You know, I'm, I'm not going to graduate, and if I don't graduate, I'm not going to get a job, and if I don't get a job, I'm going to be living on the street. And, and, and there's going to be something bad, painful down the road. And so, what happens then is the body turns on its this physiology that is so out of balance, designed to make us really fast, really powerful. But it's only designed to last for about 30 seconds. The stress response is only designed to last about 30 seconds because that's how long it took our ancestors to escape the bear. And then it's supposed to turn off. But if we keep saying, uh-oh, this, uh-oh, that, oh, geez, this, oh, geez, that, oh, my gosh, this, oh, my gosh, that, then our body is in a continual state of fight or flight, and that imbalance makes every system in the body go out of whack because of that, you know, need to be very pow- powerful and very fast. But we don't use that up. We just, it just stays, you know, the, the chemicals, the hormones, all of those things just keep on, on. <laughs> and they never turn off. And the result of that is all of the symptoms what we know now today as all of the symptoms of stress, you know, all the way from headaches, muscle pain, um, irritability, can't go to sleep at night, all of those things that we that I call symptoms are just the result of physiology that thinks I should be running from something all day long or fighting something all day long. And so now what we propose in the book and all of my work that I'm doing is you can play with this in two places. You can play with this at the prevention part and you can play with this at the turning it off part. And the prevention part is entirely to do with your thoughts. If you can change that uh uh-oh thought to something else, if you can, we call it a threat thought. If you can eliminate the threat thought, then the stress response will not turn on. And just to clarify, are you saying you can eliminate the thought from even happening in the first place? Yeah. So let's just use an example. 
So let's say that I'm, we'll, we'll say I'm in rush hour traffic late for work, or I've, I'm a mom and I have kids just screaming and I can't seem to get control, or I'm a coach and the ref is making a bad call over and over. And I just find myself, or you're a fan in the stands and you're, and the, the refs are just horrible. You know, you've been to a major league game somewhere and you just see fans just going ballistic, right? Well, in any of those circumstances, any of those instances, instead of, so let's say you're in the car and it's rush hour traffic. So you're not, you're going five miles an hour instead of 85 and you know, you're going to be late for work and there's bad things that could happen when you're late for work, potentially. So you start to generate this, oh my gosh, this is going to be bad thought. You know, this, oh, geez. You could also, and this is what we kind of focus on in the book, there's the stimulus and the response. There's the I, bad things are going to happen and the response is, I'm going to, this is going to, you know, I'm going to turn on the stress response. We can open up that space between the stimulus and response and we can choose a different thought. And that thought could sound something like, wow, I've never been able to see the scenery going 85 miles an hour. Isn't it cool that I can look around? Or isn't it, isn't it, can't I be grateful? How about, what if I were grateful that I have a job to go to? I have a lot of friends who, they don't even have jobs. They're struggling right now. And, and I have a job to go to. Or, or I could be sitting on a bus with... 30 other people instead of in the, my air-conditioned car listening to an exactly. audiobook or, or a podcast. Like, yeah, like, yeah. Like the, All like of the, those... Maybe the Man Talks podcast. <laughs> Good choice. Yeah. <laughs> All of those thoughts are different thoughts. And your, your hypothalamus, your, your, your nervous system, your endocrine system, they don't care what's going on out there. They're just listening to the messages, the self-talk that you're giving to yourself. And as long as there's nothing that sounds like I'm in trouble here, th then you will stay, you will effectively prevent the stress response. And so you choose gratitude, you choose acceptance, you choose um, forgiveness, you choose, you know, even if it's forgiveness for yourself, all of those more powerful thoughts that are, or you could choose thoughts like, well, what's interesting about this? And I've never noticed the ratio of cars to trucks, or I've never noticed how many people are working on their uh, makeup while they're driving and how many people are texting while they're driving. You know, all these things you could be, you could be focusing on instead of the thought that's going to accurate, ac activate the stress response. That's, that's the crux of preventing stress, really. And it's not an easy thing because we're not trained to do that. We're trained to, you know, if somebody makes a bad call, if a ref makes a bad call, we're trained, you know, to go ballistic. But you could also just as easily, ref makes a bad call and you could say something like, well, he can't help it. That's, that's the ref and that he's going to make bad calls because he can't see clearly or something like that. I mean, it doesn't really matter what you say to yourself as long as that uh-oh sounding thought isn't in the mix. And, and I think it's interesting what you're saying too, because what I'm hearing is that it's natural that all these thoughts are going to come into your head anyways. You might as well 
and I, and I guess it's it's a matter of being more mindful, but recognize yeah. what thoughts you are or are not going to allow to affect you, or even yeah. to come in in the first place. And so, you know, it, it's very much a defensive, you know, a defensive posture. And and I would say something just slightly different from what you said. You said it's natural. I would say, and I'm not saying, oh, you're wrong. Mm, no, I would say it's learned. And the reason why I say that is because young kids don't have those natural reactions to things. You know, things happen in their environment and they don't automatically go ballistic at things when they're, they don't go their way. You know, little kids say three, four or five-year-olds, they learn those. And I think it's interesting that if, if it were a natural, and I know what you meant by that, but it's good to clarify because people think, well, there's nothing I can do about it. I'm just angry. It's in my genes. I'm a hothead and I can't help it. If you're a hothead and you can't help it and it's genetic, then you're doomed. But if you learned angry responses to situations, if you learn stressful responses situations to situations, the good news about that is you can also unlearn them. It is, you're not stuck to them. And I think that's a, an important clarification because a lot of people think, well, there's nothing I can do about my stress. And if you think that, then you're doomed. <laughs> you're doomed to be stressed for the rest of your life. But if you think there's got to be a way out of this, and I think there's, you know, then they, then you start investigating what can I do to make the, uh, the stress not be so impactful in my life. And and I don't think it's possible for somebody to never be stressed, to never be. But I think the more we practice, it's like a muscle, the more we practice being aware, being mindful of how we're thinking and the effect it has on us, the more we start to tweak that, we start to, you know, adjust our thinking, you know, in situations we can practice in any situation we can practice, okay, here's, this is going on and how could I think about this differently than my conditioned way of just immediately, you know, uh, unthinkingly respond or react. So I'm wondering if you can touch on the, the concept of, of a whole person approach to stress management. Uh, you know, in the book you talk about how Stress management is, is possible through optimizing your body, your heart, your mind, and soul, and, rec- and recognizing that any and all these dimensions of your life affect your anxiety levels. I wonder if you can just kind of expand on that. Hmm. I don't think there's any disconnected parts. You know, the, we, we talk about the mind and body and spirit, and we talk about, um, you know, who we are as human beings, and we're not like a car. Where if some um, if something goes wrong with my car, like the carburetor breaks or the, the the brakes need repairing, we take it to the shop and they fix that part of us. The human being, I don't think, is quite like that. It, certainly, if my appendix ruptured, I'm, I want that, which actually did happen to me, where I, I do want to go to the doctor and have that appendix removed or whatever is left of it taken out. But 
at a deeper level, I mean, there's no disconnected parts. Every part of us at every level impacts every other part of us. And I, I hope that doesn't sound too like mystical or esoteric or metaphysical, but you have a thought about something. Let's say you have an angry thought. You create the same physiology as if you were smoking. As far as nicotine is concerned, it does the same thing to your heart, does the same thing to your blood vessels. Anger does the same thing to your physiology as nicotine does, interestingly. You have positive thoughts about things. It affects your physiology. It affects your emotions. It affects, I mean, we have this kind of model that says we never have an emotion without having a thought first. We always think a thought and that results in an emotion. In other words, so as an example, because we want to get in touch with our emotions, we want to control our emotions, we want to be less whatever emotion, depressed, sad, angry, whatever. All you have to do is go back one step and figure out, well, what's the thought that precedes that emotion? So if somebody's angry a lot, if you look at the thought that precedes the, the emotion of anger, it's always, man, this should not have happened this way. This, this, this should have happened differently. That's the thought. You change that thought then you won't activate the emotion of anger. And so our thoughts, our emotions, our physiology, and even our spirituality are all inseparably intertwined. They're, they're working together as a, as a holistic machine. And as we improve one aspect of those, all the rest of those dimensions improve. If we harm or cause trauma to a different aspect of us, then it affects all of those holistically, different than what goes on with our car. Fix the brakes, car runs fine. Brakes aren't going to affect how the radiator works. Does that make sense? Absolutely, absolutely. So that's how I would. (laughs) Uh, No, I I love that. And and I think we, we definitely live in a world where you know, we, we are so focused on fixing those one or two things that we think are wrong with us. But, you know, I love that you look at it from a holistic approach because... Can I just add one thing to that? Absolutely. And, and I'm, I'm not in any way anti our current medical system, but the medical world and specifically drugs and the, are trying to take a drug for everything. The problem with this medical model in this way is people take drugs for those specific, they go after the the breaks when they take a drug. The problem with every single drug is there's side effects that are affecting the rest of that holistic you. And that's why we have to be careful with drugs because we don't recognize or we're not taking into account all the side effects, all the thing, all the other things that are happening holistically. It might be helping that specific problem. It is also affecting somehow the other part of the, all the other parts of us uh, in one way or another. I wanted to bring up the topic of men, and, and you know, you, you're. You're an expert in stress. You deal with uh, people and their and their stress situations all the time. Can you diagnose how how are men doing dealing with stress these days? Hmm. That's a good question. You know, I think that men, in one respect, they do better. If we were to contrast them or compare them to 
women. I think men do a little bit better with dealing with stress for this reason. One of the things that, that we, and we touched on this earlier, if you can be mindful, in other words, if you can be in the moment, if you can focus on what is going on right here and now and be with that, you know, when you're, when you're mowing your lawn, you're mowing your lawn and you're focusing on the experience of mowing your lawn. Or if you're working on your car and you're focusing on the experience of working on your car, you're being mindful. In other words, you're not focusing on future and you're not focusing on past. You're just focusing on what you're doing. I think that's why we like sports so much is because we're so mindful. And you can't, if you're mindful, you're not going to activate stress. Being my, You can't be in the present moment because there's no danger in the present moment. When we're in our here and now, we're always safe, okay? And I think men do a pretty good job of keeping their minds on what they're doing. They're still, it's still a challenge because we're not trained to do that. But I think instinctively, when we were kids, we didn't go out and go, oh my gosh, and I'm going to have to jump on the trampoline tomorrow and it's going to be tough. And then we're going to have to eat some food. And then, you know, we just were wherever we were. That's what we did. And we focused on it. And we should be doing the same thing when we're, you know, adults. We should, when we're doing what we're doing, we should have our focus there on what we're doing. And I think women, on the other hand, they're thinking about everything else. You know, they're this has got to happen. I got to do this. And there, and and I think that's why they struggle with stress more than men do. The difference I think between men and women, and I think that men could do a better job is when women are stressed, they tend to talk about it. And that seems to help. They Women seem to take more steps to help them with their stress, whereas a guy just bottles it up. Well, what you just said personifies exactly why we started the Man Talks community is, is we, we saw that exact same thing. Women have that, you know, that ability to, to talk about their, their challenges with one another and, and men have a tendency to bottle it up. I can't help but think, yes, men focus on the, on the here and now and what they're doing. Let's maybe broaden it a bit. In the Man Talks community, we get a lot of uh, entrepreneurs and, and I can't help but think, but as an entrepreneur, you're always thinking about building and what's the next step and what's, you know, what's, what's on the horizon and all that sort of stuff. How do you ensure that you're not too far out of the now, but at the same time, looking looking ahead. I mean, I, I can't help but there's a. Uh, I'm sure you're very familiar with John Kabat-Zinn. Um, he's got a great quote that says, "All suffering, stress, and addiction come through not realizing you are what you are looking for." And I, I think of all these men that that come to us and say, "I, I need to be the, you know, I mean, I need to be better. I need to be big, you know, bigger, stronger, more muscles, all these different things." And it's like. What do you, you know, what are you doing in the now? Yeah. Well, to start, and that, that's such a terrific question. To start, I think there's a difference between planning and worrying. I think, and, and I would define those two. Worry, planning is bringing future moments into the present and applying control. So planning is a very here and now activity applying control to future events. And when there's control, you're not going to have stress. Whatever you're planning, whether it is, you know, losing 20 pounds or becoming a Fortune 500 company CEO, 
You know, you're applying control to future events. That's a here and now activity, beneficial, useful. And we wouldn't want somebody to um, not be doing that. The difference between that and worrying is when we worry, we take our minds into the future and we make up all of the bad things that might happen and our body not realizing that that future thing is not happening now. It's thinking it's happening now turns on the stress response. So no control, no, we, we make up stories and, and hallucinations about all the bad things. And our body goes, oh man, I guess you must need to be running from a bear right now. So here goes the stress, you know, and you get your stress. Now, the, the other difference, the other piece of that, that I think that I really, really try to work with people on is and and it sounds cliche because we hear it all the time, but people don't really know how to or don't strive to do this is all along the way to that becoming the Fortune 500 CEO are steps along the way that should be experienced just as much as the arrival. You know, the the steps along the way to the goal are just as important and just as potentially enjoyable and satisfying and oftentimes more so than when they've arrived at that outcome. The steps that are involved in getting to losing 20 pounds, you know, the things you're learning, the experiences, the the workouts, the trying different foods and enjoying those things are as important as the stepping on the scales and noticing you're 20 pounds lighter. And so we miss out on, and, I, and I, I've been a huge fan of John Kabat's in myself for years and years because he's really nailed it on the head. The point of the journey is not to arrive. The point of the journey is the journey and be in that, wherever you are in that journey, be there instead of constantly looking at the, the next thing and the next thing. I work with so many people who you know, they, they look back at their lives and they go, I missed my whole life because I was too busy focusing on the next thing and I didn't. And the only thing we can experience is what's happening here and now. We cannot experience tomorrow's lunch. We can only experience this lunch. But if we're thinking about the meeting we've got in two hours while we're eating lunch now, we miss the lunch. We don't get to experience the the tastes and the, you know, the aromas of this lunch. And so we try to focus, help people to focus on, you know, come to this moment, enjoy it, knowing that it's a step on the way to where you're going that you've planned for, but don't miss out on this moment because that's all you get your whole life are moments of here and now. That's where the only place where life is experienceable. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Michael, uh, you know, you've, you've done all these incredible things around the world of stress. You know, you're the, you're the director of the, of the Stress Relief Center at Weber State. You've co-authored textbooks on stress. You know, you, you have a, a great resource and tool called the stressmanagementplace.com. And you've written this book uh, called Unwind. What's the legacy that you want to leave on the world? Oh, <laughs> That's a daunting question. <laughs> I, well, we got we to we kind of zero in a little yeah. bit because we're going to start to wrap it up. Yeah, no, I understand. <laughs> no, it's daunting in that um, I've never really thought of leaving a legacy. I'm just 
kind of hoping that something good happens um, with with people. Um, and maybe it's maybe it's too future focused. Yeah, you know, I don't. I the thing that I think I want people to have experienced when I get to work with them is that they come to an experience of this moment and realize that this moment can be satisfying, that this moment can be fulfilling and be okay with that. You know, I think we're so dissatisfied with this here and now. We think the next thing's got to be better and the next thing. And I want people to realize that you're good enough, that you're, things, are, things are good. We, we live lives that are so, so superior to anything any generation has ever lived. But we don't recognize that because we think, I got to get something better than this. And this is it. And I want people to, once you do that, then you feel differently. You feel satisfied. You feel joy. You feel peaceful. You feel content. And that doesn't mean you become stale, but you are enjoying the ride all along. You know, I love going on roller coasters. The joy of the roller coaster is the in the middle of the roller coaster, not waiting for it to, not the end of it. You know, concerts, you go to listen to a concert, not hoping that it will get over so I can go to the next thing, but for the the enjoyment of every moment of the concert. And that's what I want people to become aware of is this life and this moment is it. And as far as your experience of it is concerned and how to get there. And that's a that's why I say it's daunting because nobody nobody's training. There are a few who are training in that, but um, it, it's it, it's a fun thing to kind of try to throw out there into the world and hope something good happens wherever that might be. Love that. Michael, before we go, I, I have to ask you some fun rapid fire questions. Are you ready for this? I guess. Yeah, go ahead. Awesome. Who is the most influential person of all time? Uh, Jesus Christ. Great. The most underrated trait for modern day success? Living in the question. Love that. Something everybody should experience. Snorkeling. <laughs> okay. Uh, what is the one book you would take with you on a desert island? Oh, boy. That's, that's a really hard one, but there's so many good books. Probably the Bible. Uh, one movie you could take with you on a desert island. Oh, um, the, the Star Wars, the fourth one. How are you going to get power to the desert island? Um, I'd bring solar panels. Uh, and then finally, the single biggest lesson that you've learned in, in the world of academia. Um, the problem with academia is everyone's pretty sure they know it all. And I would say be okay with other people thinking that, realizing that nobody really knows very much of anything about anything. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for being on the Man Talks podcast. Guys, you got to check out this book, Unwind, Seven Principles for a Stress-Free Life. You can pick up the book on Amazon. It's available through the Kindle app, um, but also available as paperback. Um, Michael, if anybody wanted to learn more about you and, and stress management, what, where could they go? Well, the website, stressmanagementplace.com. Um, that's the primary resource that we're using right now is our launching place for most of our things. We've, we've got quite a few things in the works that are going to be um, launching here in the next uh, six months to a year. And that's pretty much the, the one place I like to 
refer people to. Awesome. Well, everyone, we need to keep an eye out and keep an eye out for that when uh, when those new tools come out. Um, go to mantalks.com to listen to more podcasts, read our blog posts. There's lots of amazing new articles up there. And uh, check out all the information about our live events. Um, and of course, please subscribe to Mantalks podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. And of course, please leave us a review. It goes a long way to get the podcast into as many ears as possible. Thanks so, thank you so much for listening to the Man Talks podcast. Catch us next week for another inspiring conversation with an inspiring man.